0: A warm welcome to you all this morning to Lady Well Baptist Church and to our Remembrance Sunday service this Sunday morning. As we come to worship this morning, we're going to hear from God's Word and then we're going to have one of our deacons, Gordon Cooper, lead us in an act of remembrance before we uh, have two minutes silence to remember together Those who have paid so much have paid everything in many cases, given their very lives, in order that we might have freedom and the peace that we have so richly enjoyed over these many years uh, in the Western world. But before we come to that, we hear this from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to consider later in our service words very similar to these in John's gospel as Jesus tells his disciples of this very peace that he will give to them at at the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we'll consider what that means for us as Christian people who live in a world in turmoil that seems to lack peace so very often. But just before we come to that, we're going to have Gordon lead us in our time of remembrance.
1: Good morning. This morning's service will start with an act of remembrance. Let us remember before God, the men and women of all nations who have died as a result of war. Those who we have known and those memory we treasure those we never knew, and those who died unknown. We will remember all who have lived in hope, but died in vain. The tortured, the innocent, the starving and the exiled, the imprisoned, the oppressed, and the disappeared. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. Living God by whose love we are united with one another across the boundaries of time and space bring us to a new remembrance of your love and life reflected in earth and sky and every person who ever lived. Teach us to be reconciled to one another and to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 to 31. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I am going away, but I will come back for you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I do not have much time to talk to you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I loved the Father. Come let's be going. An intercessionary prayer remembrance with a response to give peace in our time O Lord of give peace in our hearts O Lord. Living Lord in the dark hour you spoke of the gift of peace we seek that gift for ourselves grant us we pray The inner peace which you alone can give that we may become messengers of peace to a strife-torn world. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all who suffer for their fidelity to the calling to be your witnesses. All who suffer trying to live by the truth they have received, and all who are slandered, ill-treated, falsely imprisoned or tortured. Crucified and risen, Lord, may they, sharing your anguish, know that they will also share your victory. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all who suffer as a result of the wickedness and folly of others. We especially pray for those who suffer from the breakdown of law and order, or from the absence of just and humane laws, and are thus denied the freedom to realise their birthrights. As your children on this earth. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for those who are fighting. Injury, disfigurement, death, their constant companions. Nerves and bodies strained beyond endurance. The streams of compassion drying up within them, their only goal, the destruction of the enemy. Whatever the colour of their skin, we pray for them, whatever the sound of their tongue, we pray for them, whatever the insignia they wear, we pray for them. Give peace in our time, O Lord, give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all those who have been broken in battle, for those who weep and for those who can no longer weep, for those who feel the anguish and for those who have lost the capacity to feel for all prisoners and for all jailers, for those who exist in war-torn lands and for those who no longer have a homeland. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all those who stir up strife, for all who make a profit out of the misery of others, for all who are led into vice as they seek a momentary forgetfulness, and for all who believe that war is inevitable we bring to you our particular needs. And we remember those who have died. Lord, we pray that you may hold us fast amidst all the evils of this world, and that at the last we may enter into the peace and joy of your kingdom. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. Amen.
0: It's Remembrance Sunday. And this Sunday, more than almost any other Sunday in the year, except perhaps for Christmas Christmas, and for Easter, we dwell on this theme of conflict and also of peace. We remember back to conflicts in our nation's history, perhaps ones that we have personally experienced, and we think about what they achieved and try and put that in some sort of context so that as we look to the future, we can do so with hope. We remember particularly those in two world wars who gave their lives in order that peace may be achieved all across our world and in many other conflicts since, and surely in many conflicts to come. And we want to give thanks to God for the men and women of our armed forces who sacrifice so much in order to acquire that peace. And as we think about that, we perhaps are caused to wonder Why, when so many people in our world are so focused on acquiring, attaining, and preserving peace, is there so little peace? There is always some war going on somewhere in our world. And we perhaps need to be forgiven for wondering, is there any point to any of this? Peace never seems to last. Should we just give up all hope? Well, in our passage this morning in John chapter 14, we have cause for great hope. And we've already read in Romans 5 at the beginning of our service what the ground of that hope is. As we live out our lives, we realize that we crave peace more than almost anything else. Not just peace in the sense of a lack of war, although that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? To have no more war in the world. But peace in a deeper sense, in the Middle East, in both Hebrew and in Arabic, there is a, a common greeting that people share all the time. That is simply peace. Shalom in Hebrew or salam in, in Arabic simply means peace. It doesn't mean a lack of conflict, though. It certainly does mean that, but it also means a sort of wellness, a well-being in your whole person. That your whole nature might be at peace. And it's a common greeting and yet a heartfelt desire for absolutely everybody all over our world. And there's a reason for that. Scripture tells us that we are people made to be at peace. And so when we find we're not at peace, it causes deep stress and anxiety within us. And we constantly crave for that thing which is lacking. That wellness, that wholeness, that sense of peace. We find that we are constantly at war, though. And it doesn't mean necessarily just war with other nations, although we've experienced that in our history and continue to experience that in many ways with the ongoing, almost never-ending war on terror, which we're constantly struggling with in the Western world. We find that we are at war with our very world itself. We are constantly trying to do something about climate change, about natural disasters, about plagues and pandemics that currently are afflicting the entire world. We're at war with one another. We argue and there is strife between people and between towns and nations and governments and their own people. There is constant strife in the world on a political level. We're at war with ourselves. We constantly frustrate ourselves we often hate our own bodies or find ourselves getting frustrated with our, our nature, our personalities. I keep doing this thing and I wish I wouldn't. I keep saying that thing. I keep upsetting people. I'm not the way I want to be. And we get frustrated and angry. We are constantly at war. And the Bible tells us that the reason for this is ultimately that we are at war with God. And that conflict with him sort of spreads itself all through the rest of our lives. All human nature is shot through with the after effects of that conflict and means that we will be at conflict with anything, everything, constantly because it defines who we are. We're angry when God doesn't give us what we feel we ought to have. We're angry at a God that we may not even think really exists, but we wish he did because this world would be so much better if he was here. We're angry at a God, perhaps, who has seen us go through times of terrible loss and suffering, and we don't understand why. We're at war. And Scripture says this has been the way since the beginning when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden decided they heard what God wanted them to do and decided to go their own way. Thank you, God, but no, we have a better plan. We can be the masters of our own fate, of our own destiny, of our own future. We don't need you. And ever since that moment, they and all of their children, us, have been at constant war with God. And therefore with everything and everyone that he has made. And it's, again, tempting for us to despair, isn't it? We seek peace all the time, but everything we touch seems to result in disaster. Like King Midas, who desires great wealth and so is granted a wish that everything he touches will turn to gold, we discover that everything that we touch turns into this thing we think we want. It actually brings only misery, only loss, only disaster. We see that peace cannot come through our actions. For everything we touch, we ultimately break. Everything that we do carries with it the seeds of the next conflict. Look at the, the Western struggle in the Middle East with America and the UK and various Western nations. That create. Uh, Peace or, or go in to create peace in parts of the Middle East and yet through military intervention cause more homelessness, more strife, which results in greater acts of terrorism, which brings less peace. And we're locked in this cycle wondering what on earth to do and how on earth we get out of it. And so we find with our life with God, everything we try to do to bring peace into our lives carries with it the seeds of more conflict. Instead, we have to turn to one who sits above us all, who is not afflicted in the same way that we are with the same corruption, with the same sickness, with sin itself, and seek peace that only he can give. God alone is the one who can deliver peace into our lives and into our world. And what does he do? Well, Scripture tells us, John's Gospel tells us that we're reading this morning that he sends his Son to mediate peace, to deliver peace to a world that knows almost nothing of it other than a distant memory, a craving, a yearning, a desire for it. Jesus comes to bring perfect, permanent peace. And he tells them about this in John chapter 14. Jesus' followers are looking for Him to bring peace because they think He is the King, the Messiah, the one who's going to kick the Romans out of Israel and and have Israel be its own little independent nation so they're free to worship God and live in the world under His rule. And so they fully expect Him to bring them peace. But the problem is Jesus doesn't seem to be fitting with the image they have. The, The peace that He brings it turns out, isn't the kind of peace that they first thought it would be. Every time someone has led Israel and liberated them and brought them freedom and so-called peace, we find that decades or a century or two later, they're back in slavery, having been conquered by somebody else. The peace is always fleeting, always temporary, always partial. But Jesus comes to give them a peace that no one can ever take away. And it confuses them because they think he's here to stay to deliver this peace and he's about to go and die on the cross. He's about to leave them, which isn't going to bring them peace at all. It's going to bring them complete turmoil. They're not going to know where to go or where to turn. Their best friend, their Lord, their Messiah, who they think will will reign on the throne in Jerusalem, is about to be taken away from them. And so he's preparing them. I'm still with you, he says in verse 25, but I won't always be. He's just said a few moments earlier in verse 18 that he is just about to leave them. And they're undoubtedly confused at what he's saying. How will this bring us peace, Jesus? But he tells them that when he goes... He will give them His Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Advocate, the One who will stand for them before God and will deliver God's Word from God to them and will bring a, 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 uniting, um, a uniting element into their lives at the very heart of who they are that will constantly draw them closer to the God that they are actually at war with, that is bringing a lack of peace to their world. And we find that this gift of the Holy Spirit, this bringer of peace, is a gift that can be given by Jesus alone. In verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And they're going to be afraid. Jesus is going to be ripped away from them by the Roman authorities. Everything they've worked for for three years will seem to have come to nothing. Nothing. And yet, at the moment of their greatest turmoil, Jesus says, I am giving you peace. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. In verse 30 and 31, he's going to say, in this moment when I'm taken from you, it's going to look like my adversary, Satan, the one who constantly battles against God and his people, will look like he has won. It'll look like he is triumphed, that I have been brought to nothing, that I have failed. And yet, he says, he has no claim on me. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know I love the Father. He's saying to them that in this moment, when it looks like I've lost, I'm being obedient to God, our Heavenly Father. And in being obedient to him, I will accomplish the very thing you think I have just lost. Victory and peace. Over the last hundred years or so, our country has been involved in a great many conflicts, and we have sent some of the very best of our country, many of our young men and women, into conflicts, knowing that we are placing them directly in harm's way, and that a great many of them will not survive, will not see the peace that they fight for in that war, in that battle. And why do we do that? It seems in some ways so wasteful. Well, the reason we do it is because peace, not just an end to conflict, but that lasting wellness for us as individuals, but for us as a nation, is worth it. We think it is worth it to pay that price. To bring true peace into the world is worth almost any sacrifice, It's worth giving our all, our very best, to ensure that peace prevails, and so it is with Jesus. He comes and he will lay down his very life itself on the cross. He will die. He will leave his disciples and lay down his life to bring about peace that is perfect between men and women and God himself that can't ever be taken away because God has provided it, and so only God can remove it. And so Jesus says to his disciples and to us today, there is nothing to fear if you have this peace. Your biggest fight isn't with the Romans. For us, it isn't with radical terrorists in this world. Our ultimate fight is with God. Because you lack peace with him, you'll fight against everything and everyone, including yourself. But if you have peace with God, it will begin to affect all your other relationships. You will see the world in a radically new and different way, and peace will be at the core of it all. The peace we get from Jesus paying for our sins on the cross doesn't depend on things going well in our lives from that point on. We might wonder about that as a a Christian people. We still experience difficulty and strife and conflict. It touches us all the time and yet Jesus isn't saying everything will go well with you from this point on. Because we're connected to God, who is the very source of life itself, we are made able to walk through every difficult situation, every hardship, and endure because we don't draw our strength from ourselves or from how well things are going at this time, but lean totally upon God to carry us through, and he promises that he will sustain us even in the harshest of circumstances. And knowing that he has sacrificed his son to have us gives us confidence that he will never leave or forsake us at some later time because of the cost to have us in the first place when he knew exactly what we would be like all the days of our lives before he saved us. Look at the life of Jesus. He went through times of plenty and times of joy and times of hardship and loss. And through it all, he was able to endure because he was at peace with his heavenly Father. Now, Jesus was about to go and die the most painful, agonizing death possible. And we can see the anguish he was in facing this horrible, horrible end. And yet... He knew he would go to be with his heavenly Father when it was all finished. And nothing would be able to separate them. He would be lifted up from this broken and corrupted world and placed back into the superior glory of his heavenly Father. Which is why he says in verse 28, I'm going to be with him. The Father is greater than I. And he says to us now, My peace, that peace I have knowing that I'm going to be with the one I love more than anything else in all the creation, that peace I give to you, that sense of well-being, of satisfaction, of fulfillment, of wellness I give to you. The world can't give you that peace. It's always temporary. It's always taken away but I give you something that will endure forever because I and my Father endure forever and my work will endure forever. My death will have everlasting repercussions and it will sustain you through anything and everything because our peace is not found in the circumstances of life, but in the God who endures forever and in his Son who has paid for all our sins. Our peace is a gift That is given by Jesus. The peace that is a gift that comes from him, we find in verse 28, results in our joy. I mean, it's wonderful to hear that we can be given this peace. Peace with God that will affect all our other relationships as we don't need to strive against other people. Because we have all that we could possibly want or need in God. And so we're free to live generous lives, lives of sacrifice uh, with one another. But we find that this life of sacrifice, of of giving things up because we don't need them anymore, because we have what we need in God, is a life of true joy. That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? We would think that giving up our, our, our hold on almost everything that we have in this life should be a difficult one, one that would pain us and frustrate us. And yet it isn't. Jesus tells us in verse 28, that this gift of peace will bring about our joy. He says to his disciples and addresses their sadness that he's going to be leaving them, that you would rejoice if you really understood what was going on here. When I die, I'm going to my Father. The Father is greater than I. And what this means is his goal, his purpose, his mission will be complete. That's why he goes to be with his father. There's nothing else left for him to do. He will have everything he came to do. And so he can return to his father from this world and experience the glory of heaven that he left to come and be born and to live his perfect life and die his perfect death, knowing that his victory is now complete. And if only his disciples knew that, they would be overjoyed. Because although they're going to miss their friend, they're going to have this new, amazing, transformed life. Lives that can now be lived for the glory of God, which is what they were made for in the first place in the Garden of Eden. That's been corrupted by sin. Sin turns us in on ourselves, which is the root of all conflict, isn't it? I have what I have and I want more. It's all about me and the things that I can gather to myself. And so if I see you with something I want, I'm going to take it. This is the cause of everything from the struggles we have with ourselves and others as individuals right up to international conflicts. We see what others have and we want it. We want to be on top. We want to take the place of God. That's what sin does. And Jesus says, if you understand that in my death and my going back through my resurrection to go and be with the Father, that I have accomplished victory over sin that causes all of that, then you would be overjoyed. Because you can live a life freed from that. That corruption, that conflict. You can live fully for God and enjoy the abundance of life that he's given you because of that peace that I give you through that victory and interestingly enough we find also that Jesus experiences great joy in his father's presence where there is no sin and corruption and just as he shares his peace with his followers My peace I give to you. He also shares the joy he experiences in being in close communion with his heavenly Father because we are drawn into that relationship through his work. So we can have a close relationship with our heavenly Father because of what Jesus has accomplished and the joy they share in being together, we can share in being together with them. It's truly astonishing. What happens after some conflict is won? It doesn't matter whether we think about uh, some international war or some of the smaller fights and conflicts that we experience in everyday life. A conflict with a family member or a neighbor is settled. A battle to get work uh, completed is uh, accomplished on time. A struggle to, um, to get ourselves into shape because we we just hate the, the way that we are and we want to do something about it. Some conflict be- within us or within our relationships in the world is suddenly over. What happens? We experience a sense of joy, of elation, don't we? Look at the scenes that were recorded after um, the victory in the First World War or the Second World War or uh, in subsequent conflicts in and, 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 um, the, the Falklands War or um, after the various wars that we've conducted um, in the Middle East. When those wars were brought to a conclusion and soldiers came home, there was joy, there was elation, there was satisfaction because the new situation now is better than it was before. There's been something terrible, but it's over now. And we experience joy. We've succeeded. We've overcome. Now, that never lasts, does it? Because there's always another conflict coming around the corner. But we experience joy nonetheless. Now we are completely reliant on the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, work that has been accomplished perfectly. That conflict with God is ended forever because of the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. He pays for every one of our sins on the cross. So there is literally nothing that can come between us and God. And so we can live in joy in that elation, knowing that the new life we now have is totally different to the life we had before. There will be some similarities, but the quality of it is totally transformed, because now there isn't this conflict that mars and darkens everything. And as we grow as followers of Jesus, we will feel more and more complete, more and more at peace, more and more filled with joy. Even when we go through the difficult circumstances, because the one thing, the only thing we need in this life is a living relationship with a living God, and we have it in Christ. We will be more satisfied and more fulfilled as we glorify this amazing God with everything we have, even and perhaps especially in difficult and in dark times, because we will have God's joy and it will be felt by us. We are given this gift of peace by Jesus and by him alone. And out of that grows this gift of joy. And we find all of this comes by faith the gift of peace comes by faith in christ we read in verse 29 now i've told you before it takes place before his his death and his resurrection takes place so that when it does take place you may believe jesus realizes that his crucifixion is going to shatter his disciples it would wouldn't it they know him they love him they've taken in all his teaching over three years they've based their whole lives these are jewish men and women it is an utter blasphemy for them to believe the things Jesus has told them to believe if he is not God. And when he's crucified, they're going to be caused to doubt that he is truly God. They've thrown away their life, their faith for nothing. It will shatter them. But Jesus is saying, look, this is going to happen. And I'm telling you now so that when it does, you will understand peace is still coming. So even in the very depths of the darkest night you will experience when you think all is lost, you will remember that peace is still coming into your life. An incorruptible, permanent peace. So carry on in hope. Believe. Don't give up. Have faith in me. He doesn't want them trying to figure it all out in the pit of their grief and losing him, losing him in such a terrible way, he wants them to know ahead of time so that they can weather the storm. Now, when Jesus does die, it does shatter the disciples. They wonder what on earth to do, where to go. And when Jesus is raised again from the dead, three days later, he meets with them and encourages them and calls them to remember the things that he told them. This is what he says to them the Holy Spirit will do. Bring to their minds the things he has said so they won't be lost in despair and they aren't. As soon as he reappears and begins to teach them, it all starts to fall into place. They all begin to understand what he has said and realize that they were never in um, any dire peril. They were always safe in his hands. There were times in the First and the Second World War, when it looked like all was lost for uh, the Allies, the Allied Nations. It was perhaps never quite put that way during the war in order to maintain morale, but certainly our leaders knew that there were very precarious circumstances. And when you read or hear some of the speeches of men like Winston Churchill, and you can hear him in that famous speech where he talks about fighting them on the beaches, you can hear him recognize the perilous state that our country was in. There was a very reasonable chance that our nation may, in his words, lie subjugated and starving should we be invaded and we have to stand alone. And yet, even in that moment, Churchill said, we will continue on the struggle, if necessary, alone, if necessary, for years until uh, the, the new world that the the British Empire and uh, the United States of America might come to uh, the rescue and the liberation of the old. It's an incredible speech, and it's one that still stirs people uh, to this day, and it does so for that simple reason. It looked like it very well could be the end, and yet we weren't going to give up. We were going to persevere through to the very end in the hope that we would win out, even if all seemed lost. And Churchill gave that speech at a particularly low point in the war for the UK and for our allies. But we had to have faith, was the ultimate call of Churchill. We have to keep pushing on. And Jesus says something very similar here, that we are expected to have faith in his perfect saving work. And this is where Jesus' words go so far beyond those of Winston Churchill, just in the hope that we might do it through our own spirit. In Churchill's mind, in Jesus' mind, we are to have faith in his perfect completed work. When he's on the cross, he says, it is finished. There is nothing more that you need to do. It is done. The war is over. Sin and death have been defeated in my death. And now we live in an entirely new reality. And if you put your faith in me and turn from your sins that will be paid for completely, nothing will be left behind in your life to trip you up and tear you away from my Father's hands. You will be saved and no Peace. Our faith in Jesus is that he will, by his grace, give us freedom from sin and death, especially because we don't deserve it. And we can't do anything about it. It is not by our works, by our effort, that peace with God will come into our lives. What could we ever do for a God who owns everything, is in control of everything, who knows everything, when we are corrupted at every level of our lives, in every desire, in everything we say and do and think by sin? We can do nothing. Peace comes from someone better, someone bigger, someone more capable who delivers it as a free and gracious gift to each one of us and we simply must put our faith in Him that He has done what He has said that He will continue with us, that He will raise us up on the last day, that our sins have been paid for by Him as we confess them to Him and then live lives of commitment and submission to Him in recognition that we are now a new creation, for the old has gone and the new has come. We are constantly at war. War with our world. War with one another, war with ourselves and with God. And we can try to put that all right with our own efforts, but it will all inevitably be temporary. It will always be undone by someone else. The way to true and lasting peace in our time is to put our faith in Christ as our Savior in His perfect work for us. And when we do, we will be at peace with our God who made us. And moment by moment sustains us so that we might glorify his name with all that we have and with all that we are. And when we have that new life, no matter how hard things get, we will know that peace and it will sustain us. And we will experience the joy of that peace which will carry us through. For we're going the right way. Our life's purpose, whether we feel it or not, is being worked out. And Christ has already won the victory necessary to carry us all the way. He is overjoyed with his success, and we will be too when we are found in him. So as we face uncertain days, days that will involve war, conflict, at every level of our existence, it will bring strife and stress. As we go through that, put your faith in Christ, and know the joy and the peace that he alone can bring. Amen. And now at the end of our time of remembrance and of worship, I want you to go out into this coming week knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way may the Lord be with you all. Amen.